another edition of the UK Law Weekly podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week, we're going to be looking at the case of Rock Advertising Limited and MWB Business Exchange Centres Limited. And the citation for this case is 2018 UKSC 24. This case in particular concerns contract law, and we will be looking at the differences between written and oral terms. MWB operate office space in London, and the other party, Rock Advertising, entered into an agreement to rent out offices for 12 months. Problems started when Rock started to fall behind on payments, and so they proposed an alternative schedule whereby rent would be deferred and payments would be spread out throughout the remainder of the 12 months. There was a question as to whether this proposal had been accepted, and so when MWB locked Rock out of the building, the legal dispute began. For the purpose of getting to the bottom of this, we need to closely analyse the legal effect of Clause 7.6 of the agreement that says, quote, All variations to this licence must be agreed, set out in writing, and signed on behalf of both parties before they take effect, end quote. When the case first went to the county court, the judge held that although there had been an oral variation, this did not satisfy the requirements of Clause 7.6, and so MWB could claim the arrears on the rent. The Court of Appeal, however, disagreed and instead found that the oral variation had the effect of cancelling out Clause 7.6, and this was something that both parties had tacitly agreed on. With this question about the effect of the oral variation up in the air, the case went to the Supreme Court, which is where we're going to pick it up. The justices began by looking at the reasons why so-called no-oral modification clauses, such as 7.6 in this case, are included in contracts in the first place, and they identified three reasons. Firstly, and most importantly, they prevent attempts to undermine formal agreements between parties by informal means. Secondly, they help to establish greater certainty not only about a variation itself, but also the precise terms of that variation. Finally, it also allows companies to ensure that any changes to a contract are properly recorded and only carried out by the proper authority. Meanwhile, the argument against non-oral modifications is somewhat circular, as it states that an agreement not to modify a contract orally would be destroyed by, well, modifying a contract orally. The problem is that this does not necessarily match the intention of the parties. While oral variations are not exactly forbidden, it is clear that there is an intention that they will be invalid, rather than an intention that such a clause should simply be struck out. Of course, this interpretation does open up the realistic possibility of an injustice being caused, where a representation is made that an oral variation would nonetheless be valid, and reliance is then placed on that by representation. But in those circumstances, the doctrine of estoppel would come to the rescue. In any case, the final decision of the Supreme Court was clear and unanimous, as Clause 7.6 meant that the oral modification was invalid, and so the order by the county court that MWB could claim the arrears on the rent was restored. The main analysis of this case was carried out by the Supreme Court itself as they noted the importance and primacy of the written terms of a contract. It is not that oral terms don't matter when it comes to contract law in general, but where the parties have demonstrated a clear intention against oral modifications, 
and have taken the time to put that down in writing, then that has to count for something. One further interesting point that came up in the context of this case is what happens when the parties do genuinely want to get rid of a no oral modification clause such as 7.6. Surely it cannot be the case that once this has been agreed in writing there is no going back. Lord Briggs addressed this point in a separate judgement where he noted that the parties should not be restricted in this fashion and that if there is a specific agreement to abandon the clause then that should be treated as a valid modification by the courts. Of course, in this case, the oral variation made no mention of abandoning Clause 7.6, and it would not be right to simply imply this into the payment schedule that we mentioned at the start of the episode. In the lead judgment, Lord Sumption attempted to draw an analogy with international codes, but Lord Briggs did not find this especially useful, instead favouring a simple approach whereby no oral modification clauses are binding until the parties agree that they aren't anymore. Well, thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. I hope you found it enjoyable. If you do get a chance to leave a rating and a review on iTunes, that is always very much appreciated. And remember, you can also check out my website at uklawweekly.com where you can sign up for my newsletter. I'll be back with another case next week, but in the meantime, bye!